I'm reading from uh, Proverbs chapter 1, from verse 1 right through to the end. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. My son, if sinful men entice you, Do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let's lie in wait for innocent blood. Let's ambush some harmless soul. Let's swallow them alive like the grave and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will get all sorts of valuable things and fill our houses with plunder. Cast lots with us. We will all share the loot. My son, do not go along with them. Do not set foot on their paths, for their feet rush into evil. They are swift to shed blood. How useless to spread a net where every bird can see it. These men lie in wait for their own blood. They ambush only themselves. Such are the paths of all who go after ill-gotten gain. It takes away the life of those who get it. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call, and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me, since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice and spurned my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear of harm. Thanks, Catherine. Well, good evening, everyone. Great to see you. Um, We're looking at the book of Proverbs then. Today and uh, the next five weeks afterwards, so the next six weeks, we're looking at the book of Proverbs. I thought... To help us get something out of it, I'm going to be preaching through uh, Proverbs 1 a little later, but to help us get a bit more out of it, I've done a little bit of work to help us to think about how Proverbs works, because I suspect for a lot of us, Proverbs is a sort of book we kind of dip into, because there are little sayings that we find helpful, but it's kind of hard to understand how do they kind of hold together, how do they work, Um, and to understand a bit more of the structure of the book of Proverbs, a bit of the background behind it, might help us to get more out of the next five or six weeks, so... I'm going to um, do a little intro um, based on the little handout that I hope you have in your hand. If you haven't got one, then do wave your hand and uh, someone will bring one to you. Um, and then we're going to watch a little video, which will just be a nice kind of break and segue, and then we'll, we'll come in to look at Proverbs 1 together. Um, there's lots on this handout. We're not going to look at it all now, 
But this is really for you to take away and you can reflect on it and it may help you in uh, further weeks. The stuff at the top, um, ancient Near Eastern wisdom, is simply to make the point that when you read of the wisdom literature in the Bible, that's a particular genre, it's a type of writing in the Bible, um, I just want us to see that it wasn't ever written in a kind of cultural vacuum. In other words, biblical wisdom was never written in a place where there wasn't other wisdom, worldly wisdom. Uh, Because of the common grace of God, there's much that we can all learn from worldly wisdom, Um, But they're just some examples, and if you're really interested, you can look them up and have a look. But what you can see in some of the ancient writings at the time when the wisdom literature was written in the Bible, there was lots of similarities with what was written. And then God in his wisdom wanted to speak his wisdom into a world full of wisdom to show us what true wisdom really looks like. So we need to understand that the wisdom literature in the Bible sits alongside the wisdom of the world. But the wisdom literature of the Bible does one specific thing, which is to teach us God's wisdom. And the wisdom of the world will never do that. As you can see under the next little heading, Biblical Wisdom, I've listed there uh, the fact that uh, different uh, wisdom books, so Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, are the books there in the Bible that many people would call the wisdom literature. And I've just given a very rough um, outline of what each one is ultimately about. They all help us with understanding understanding suffering, understanding God. Uh, The Psalms I've listed there are examples of what many people call the wisdom Psalms. So they're songs of God's people that speak specifically about wisdom. So you could have a look at those if you wanted to. Uh, Proverbs really helps us understand ourselves. Ecclesiastes, which we preached through um, a year or so ago, helps us understand life. And the Song of Songs helps us understand love, um, both romantic love between a man and a woman on earth now, but also the love God has for us. So there's all sorts of wisdom literature, and the book of Proverbs kind of sits there in the middle of a number of other books um, to help us. The purpose of wisdom, well, we're going to come to that. Here's a a verse that I reckon I pray once or twice every week uh, from the book of James. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now that's a pretty cool promise because I suspect all of us need wisdom. So we're going to have a bit of fun. What I'd love to do is have a few people shout out areas of life where you would love to grow in wisdom. Or areas of life where you find you need to draw upon wisdom. Let's just see what some of the issues are because there's the promise on the screen that where we lack wisdom we can ask God. Where do we lack wisdom? Where do we want wisdom? Let's just chuck out some areas. Parenting, yeah. Absolutely. Have I spelled that right? If I haven't spelled, then you just have to forgive me. We'll just keep going. Retirement, great. Wisdom in retirement. How do I use my time, my opportunities? How do I negotiate some of the challenges of growing older? Yeah, what's next? It could be any stage in life, couldn't it? Yeah, brilliant. How do I negotiate the wonderful world of money? Keep going. Yep, I just call that the big R word. Relationships. Uh, Loads of wisdom needed in all sorts of relationships all the time. Health, yep, we'll call that the H word. There we go, we'll just go shorthand. Yeah, let's call that the E word. Evangelism, yeah, just wisdom in how to share our faith in a really sceptical culture where people aren't interested. 
Cool. The L word, leadership. Yeah, family. Um, and particularly divided families where there's uh, friction in relationships or perhaps there's been a divorce or um, animosity in a family relationship. Real wisdom needed. Yeah, that's really helpful. Thanks. See, we need wisdom where we've made mistakes. How do we sort of get ourselves out of the problems that we can cause ourselves? Some of you younger folk, any ideas or areas of your life where you need wisdom? School. Yes, the S word. School. Exams. We had an E word. I have to write exams. There we go. Okay, that'll do. The point is, and we'll come back to this, that as you look at that... There's whole heaps of areas in our life where we need wisdom. And you look at the promise on the, on the screen. Where we lack wisdom, we ask God and he gives generously. So the wonderful thing is, as you have to negotiate some of these challenges in life, there's a wise God who speaks into each of these things. And the book of Proverbs would touch on every one of these issues. And we're going to cover a few of them in the coming weeks. So on your sheet there, you don't need to write it in now, but if you had a pen, you could. But I'd love you to think about specifically over the next five weeks after this week, where would you like to grow in wisdom? And maybe your prayer each time you come to sit in the evening service would be, Lord, show me today how I can be wise in this particular area. And if we all grow in wisdom a little bit in this area, then that will be a good thing. Just under that, under the purpose of wisdom, remember that wisdom is needed to interpret our experience. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is what I know. Wisdom is what I do with my knowledge. How do I kind of negotiate life, live life skillfully? Wisdom is really about making choices. Much of life, as we'll see, is chaotic, it's illogical, it doesn't make sense. But behind all the chaos of a broken world is a loving God who is completely wise. And so the verse on the screen becomes really important when we suffer, when we're faced with unknowns, uncertainty. When we lack wisdom, who do we go to? We go to a good, wise God who gives generously. So it may be that you um, want to write in there what questions you have of God's wisdom. Because sometimes just the mess of life can mean that we, we ask God, what are you doing? What are you doing in this situation of suffering or ill health? What are you doing in this very complex relationship that I don't understand? And uh, as you'll see in the book of Proverbs, we can talk to God. We can speak to him our frustrations and our questions and seek his wisdom. So again, you might later on want to write something in that box, a question you have of God's wisdom. And then just a little note to say that wisdom is like medicine. You don't always need a lot of medicine to make you a lot better. And so wisdom is a sort of book you can dip into and dip out of. You can grab hold of a proverb and wrestle with it, chew on it, think about it, talk about it, pray about it, and then come back to a different uh, proverb another time. And just at the bottom there, just to understand the different places that the, the, the wisdom literature is used, a lot of it is speaking kind of folk wisdom, particularly in the early uh, chapters of Proverbs, really speaking into agriculture, business, just the ordinary day-to-day. And then as you journey through the book of Proverbs, you'll notice that there's an increasing focus on other specific areas, like, for instance, the royal court. It's the idea here of a king maybe speaking to a prince or a princess, wanting to pass on their wisdom. But most interestingly is actually a lot of the Proverbs that you read in the Bible are framed within the context of the family home. And I think that's really significant, particularly at the moment with the increasing emphasis we want with our youth and children's vision to help better equip families and parents to parent young people. And actually a lot of the stuff, and you'll see it even in our chapter, is a wise mother or a wise father speaking to a son or daughter. 
And it's actually the context of the family home where a lot of wisdom is worked out. And in many ways, the church is like a family, and so a very similar context. Just turn over the page. Again, we're not going to look because there's lots here for you to read, but just a few things. Uh, Helen's got the microphone. Helen, would you just read that verse that's on uh, the page there? Proverbs 4, 5 to 7, please. Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. It's a slightly laboured three verses, isn't it? It's kind of emphasising something. What's the sort of point? What's the essential message here? It's not rocket science. There's no sort of hidden... Get wisdom. Exactly. What the, what the, pro, the writer of the Proverbs is doing is saying, if you do anything in life, the thing that you most should acquire over everything else is wisdom. And so it's this idea that wisdom is infinitely precious. And we'll see that again in Proverbs 1 later on. And then there are just a, a few things here to help us. And this is something you can perhaps wrestle with and take home with you. But I'm just going to draw attention to one or two of the little things here. Um, Notice the second bullet point under general. A lot of the Proverbs are what are called antithetical sayings. It's the kind of if-then. The idea of if you seek me with all of your heart, then dot, dot, dot. But if you don't, dot, dot, dot. So it's this idea of kind of um, if I seek wisdom, my life will take a very different course to if I shun wisdom. And you'll see lots of these if-then clauses all through Proverbs. Uh, Some of the Proverbs are really ambiguous. That's just meaning that that they don't really make a lot of sense when you first read them. And part of the reason, I think, is that wisdom requires us to wrestle and to grapple with truth. So if you find a proverb that sort of makes no sense to you, just pray about it, wrestle with it, think about it. Because the idea is you're meant to engage with the Proverbs. You don't sort of just read them and move on. But the Proverbs are like things you have in your hand and you wrestle with and you play with. Think of putty in your hand and you're trying to understand what is the truth that's taught here. Under interpretation, this is really important. Proverbs, we must understand, are general truths. They're not hard and fast rules. So have a look at the example here. Um, Helen, please just read that one there from Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train a child in the way it should go and he will not depart from it. See, what's the obvious problem with that proverb? Yeah. So if you're a parent who's lovingly sought to train a child in the instruction of the Lord and they have departed from it, it's easy to then say, well, I've been, I've been useless. I've failed. And so we need to understand the Proverbs are general sayings. Is it generally true that when you train a child in the way of the Lord, they will walk in it? Generally speaking, yes. In other, or to put it the other way, if I don't train a child in the instruction of the Lord, will they walk with the Lord? No. So I should train them. But does it mean that that will always be the case? No. So we need to understand that the Proverbs are more general than specific. And often they're rooted in situational experience. So the writer is saying, in my experience, this is how something has worked out in life. And I think you could learn from it. Hence, the father or the mother speaking to a son or daughter. Listen to me. Equally, though, some Proverbs work against each other. Some people love to say, well, the Bible's full of contradictions. Well, let me point out a contradiction and we'll wrestle with it in a minute. Helen, could you read, please, with a slight sort of um, tongue in your cheek, Proverbs 25, 4 and, uh, Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. 
Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. See, what are you going to do with that? There's a contradiction in the Bible. Don't answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, when you meet a foolish person, don't sort of entertain them and give them time because they're foolish. They're going to lead you on down the wrong track. And the very next verse says, answer a fool according to his folly. In other words, sometimes it's not right to dialogue with a fool because they'll lead you down the wrong track. But sometimes it is right because you might better help them. So two proverbs that say opposite things, but they're set side by side to say, sometimes this is wise, sometimes that is wise. You see, we'll leave the next bullet point. And then just a little point there that sometimes the proverbs are kind of clustered. And so rather than just picking out individual proverbs, you might find sometimes you want to read around and just try and read a chunk of proverbs. And even though they seem unrelated, as you read a chunk of them, you sort of see that the writer's driving towards a particular point. And then just a little thing to say on application. Um, Proverbs does need sensitive and careful application. Particularly think of that bit we talked about earlier where they're general truths, not hard and fast rules. So if you know the book of Job, can anyone tell me what was the problem or the fault of the friends who come to Job when he loses everything and try to explain to him his suffering? What was the fault or the problem that they fell short on? Yeah, they, mis- they misuse God's word. You see, they might have taken a proverb that said some- one of those if-then proverbs, a kind of, um, if you put God first, then you will be blessed. A proverb a bit like that. And they saw their friend Job suffering, and so they just blanketly applied the proverbs to Job. Well, Job, you're suffering, so you can't be righteous. Well, it's unwise, because as we journey through the book of Proverbs, Job didn't suffer because he was unrighteous. He suffered because God wanted to teach him something about himself. And so we need to be really careful how we apply the Proverbs so that we don't make the same mistake. And that's particularly true when we're walking alongside those who are suffering. And we, I spoke about, about that when we did the talk in the morning, having a heart for the hurting. And then just the last thing to look at, and we won't look at these verses now, but we need to understand that ultimately all wisdom is found in God. And wisdom is summarized and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who is wisdom from God. And so all the wisdom literature in the Bible ultimately points us forward to our saviour who is wisdom from God and so I hope that helps you just to sort of set the scene of how Proverbs works if you want to come back to that in in future weeks or bring it in the evenings then it might help you a little bit and we're just going to take a pause now just for you to catch up and um, slow your mind down just take a a little watch of the video behind me and then uh, we'll come back and look at Proverbs 1 together thank you day. 
Great, well let's look at Proverbs 1 together. Hopefully a slide will come up on the screen. We're just going to look at um, four things together as we continue to reflect on that verse about lacking wisdom and asking God for it. And really the theme of the first chapter of the book of Proverbs is that wisdom, God's wisdom, is life-giving. So we're just going to look at four things tonight. Here's the first one, just in the first seven verses. I want us to see what is wisdom's aim And the way the writer starts the book of Proverbs is using what's called a chiasm. It's a Hebrew term in wisdom literature or in poetry. But but if chiasm doesn't mean anything to you, just think triangle. And what does a triangle do? It has a point. The idea of a chiasm is that you have different truths that kind of pair each other and they work towards a central point that's the thing that you're meant to take away. And right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, you get one of these chiasms, these kind of triangles. So let me try and show us how it works. And you can look at it on the screen or in your Bible. Do you see there at the beginning of verse 2 and right at the end in verse 7, you get these two phrases that kind of pair. And Proverbs helps us un- attain wisdom. And we see that wisdom is rooted in God. So in a sense, this is like the framework that is set. These are two great truths. Proverbs helps us gain wisdom, and wisdom is rooted in God. 
And then the writer hones in a little bit closer with two more pairs that come either side. In the second half of verse 2 and in verse 6, we find that wisdom is found in words of insight. And then the writer hones in a little bit further again. In the first half of verse 3 and in 4 and 5, we see that wise words lead to discernment. And then we're going to get to the tip of the chiasm or the tip of the triangle because the writer is driving towards this point. Second half of verse 3, that discernment leads to wise living. And what I love about the Proverbs is they're really earthy, they're super practical. Uh, The Proverbs have been lived by someone, learned by someone, and then passed on to us. So there's not some kind of theologian or pastor sitting in some ivory tower, kind of chucking out wisdom to the world, live by this. This is someone who's lived, perhaps made mistakes, lived through the pressures and struggles of life, an older man or older woman speaking to a younger man and a younger woman. And we see that the aim of wisdom is that we grow in discernment so that we live wisely. Not knowledge, not just about what I know in my head, but the ability to negotiate life skillfully. So wisdom's aim is that we, uh, we, what is wise living, that we honor God. And so actually there's a lot of links between what Neil was talking about this morning and humility, because if I want to be wise, if I want to live a wise life, I need that humility that comes before a God of wisdom. If I think I'm wise in my own eyes, I'm a proud man and I won't be able to see the God who is above me and bigger than me and wiser than me. So wisdom's aim is that we live wisely. Then have a look at verse 7. What's wisdom's source? This is obviously probably the most famous verse in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. It's a funny phrase, isn't it? What do you mean, the fear of the Lord? Surely I'm not meant to be scared of God. But here, when you read the word fear, don't think of being scared. Think of the idea of awe and wonder. Um, Fear is about being overwhelmed by something, isn't it? It's a sense of being controlled by something. I was racking my brains today as I spent a bit of time on a walk, thinking of times in my life where I've been overwhelmed by something. And actually, both experiences came in Africa. Once was in 2005 when I was on a whitewater raft down the Zambezi. And they did say to us that the water was particularly choppy and dangerous that day. Are you sure you want to go? And uh, I was 19 or 20 at the time. And I said, absolutely, let's go. When we landed in one of these massive great holes of water that just swallowed up this massive boat of eight people as if it was like a cork. And then it tossed us out the other side. And I remember sort of crawling up onto the beach to have a bit of a breather. You turn around and see the, the size and the scale of the Zambezi River. And there's an awe and a wonder. You just go, wow, that was powerful and I'm tiny. And the other time it happened was also in Africa on safari the same year when we were in a little safari truck. And we got caught up in a herd of, we counted over a hundred elephants, massive African elephants. And they're usually beautiful animals to look at, but when you're in the middle of them and when they're on a bit of a feeding frenzy and just walking straight and pushing over everything, including trees in front of them as they feed, if you're in the middle of that, it's terrifying. There's this kind of, wow, I'm actually very insignificant and that elephant is really quite big. You think of a time in your life when you've had the sense of being overwhelmed or controlled by something, and that's just probably a little fraction of what it means to have a fear of the Lord. It's this idea of having an awe and a reverence before God. 
Um, the children, we sing a little song in church, don't put him in a box, don't shove him in the corner. If I have a fear for the Lord, I'd never be able to put him in a box because he won't fit. <laughs> I never have to shove God in a corner because he won't stay there. God is so much bigger than our minds can ever comprehend. And that's what it means here to fear the Lord. Just as an example, would you just turn up um, the book of Acts, please? We're just going to look at a couple of little verses here. Acts chapter 9. This is a description of the early church. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. It's interesting, isn't it? Here's a church that was at peace, that was strengthened, and that was growing in number, and that was encouraged. And what is right at the heart of the verse? A fear of the Lord. If we ever become a church that doesn't fear the Lord, then we're going to very quickly step away from the encouragement and the peace and the blessing that God wants to pour upon us. It's hugely important. We have this awe and wonder before him. So here's a picture of the early church, this fear of God. By contrast, though, just turn forward a little bit to the book of Romans. Come to chapter 3. And this is where Paul is declaring the state of the world and helping us to recognize the state of our hearts. And in Romans chapter 3, notice what he declares in verse 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one understand. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. So it's a description of the, the, the human heart, that we've all rejected God. But notice specifically verse 18. What is it that characterizes a heart that turns away from God? There is no fear of God before their eyes. See, why there's so many people in the world walk in the complete opposite direction of God is because they don't fear him. They don't understand who he is. They've not been captivated by him. It's exactly the same thing you see in Psalm 2. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. If there's no God, there's no God to seek for wisdom. So I find wisdom somewhere else. But it's the fool who says there's no God. And so what verse 7 tells us is that either we live our life in awe of the God who created us, or we despise him and go our own way. There's only two ways to live. What is wisdom's source? It's a fear of the Lord. And ultimately, we see that wisdom's source is Jesus Christ. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Jesus Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. We read a little bit later in 1 Corinthians, Jesus Christ has become for us wisdom from God. And we had read earlier in the service from Colossians 2, Jesus Christ in him is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So wisdom's aim is that we live our lives wisely. Wisdom's source is Jesus Christ. Notice from verses 8 to 22, wisdom's call. If you just want to turn back to the book of Proverbs, and we'll stay in Proverbs now. Uh, we get an illustration in chapter 1 of how a lot of the Proverbs works. As I've said many times, it's a kind of a father or a mother speaking to a child. And you get that here in verse 8. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. It's parental instruction. And then notice in verse 9, we see how precious wisdom is. And the mother or father has learned this through their experience. So we're seeking to pass this on to their child. Look at verse 9. 
They are a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. You think of a a beautiful tiara or a beautiful necklace that a lady might wear. It's precious. And that's what the father or the mother is saying to the son or daughter. He's saying, my son, my daughter, wisdom is precious. I wonder how precious we think God's wisdom is and how much we seek after it. And then having spoken to the son or daughter and said, seek after wisdom, it's precious. Then comes the warning in verses 10 to 19. And we saw it in our reading. My son, if sinful men entice you, don't give in to them. If they say, come along with us, don't go there. It's a few verses that saying, listen, there's, there's wisdom in not following those people. Because they'll lead you away from God. They'll lead you away from his wisdom. But by contrast, look at verses 20 to 22. Instead, the father says to the son, Listen to lady wisdom. Do you see it there in verse 20? Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. What I love here is the writer is sort of saying, listen, wisdom is not something out there that you kind of grab, rather like a a chocolate bar on a shelf. Here we see the sort of personification of wisdom, wisdom incorporated into a person. And rather like a young man with the hormones flying around would pursue a beautiful woman. Here the father is saying, my son, pursue the beauty of wisdom out in the open wisdom calls aloud she raises her voice in the public square on top of the wall she cries out at the city gate she makes her speech i was trying to think of how to illustrate this and i was thinking what is the sort of crowd that we've been most familiar with um probably the tame food festival is it september time it takes place you get out to tame if you're brave enough and the high street is just rammed with thousands of people And imagine everyone on the street there is just going about their day, shopping and buying nice produce and all the rest of it. And someone came along who had a really, really vital message to get across to the crowds. And this person then has to sort of climb up a lamppost or something and herald all of the people in Tame. It's like Lady Wisdom here. She's calling out to everyone in Tame. And what are most people doing? (laughs) They're just shopping, carrying on their day. But maybe as Lady Wisdom heralds out to people, there's someone who sees her up the lamppost and listens. And it's that kind of idea with us that God in his wisdom is calling out in his world to the people he's made. And most people just ignore him because we're so busy with our own agendas. But some people, as God's grace works in our life and opens our eyes, tune in to hear his voice. They see Lady Wisdom speaking to them and they listen. And the reference here in verse 22 to the simple in the book of Proverbs, is a reference to people who lack moral direction. So it's the complete opposite of those from verse 7 who fear the Lord. Imagine if Lady Wisdom stood up at the Tame Food Festival and heralded. Very few people would listen. But she's wise and she's got something that everyone needs to hear. And so the challenge for us, if we're followers of Jesus, is in a world where there's so many voices competing for our attention, is tuning our ears in. Will I hear his voice? And will I listen to him? See, the call of Lady Wisdom implies that you and I have to make constant decisions. Wisdom's call is to listen to God's instructions. And we've recognized at the beginning here, and we sort of put on the flip chart here, all the different areas of our life where we need wisdom. And so every day, and tomorrow morning, we'll face a a whole heap of these, many of them maybe in the same day. And the point is, as we are wrestling with these different things, different voices will be speaking to us. The voice of the world but the voice of God. You see, the world will say one thing about money. God will say something very different. 
The world will say one thing about relationships. God will say something very different. The world will help you interpret your health or ill health in one way. God will say something very different. And so the challenge is, as I face these dilemmas, will I tune my head and my heart into what God's saying? And when I lack wisdom, will I do what James says? Where I lack wisdom, I ask God. He gives generously without finding fault. So wisdom's aim is that we live wisely. Wisdom's source is Jesus Christ. Wisdom's call is listening to God's instruction. And just finally, look at wisdom's outcome. Why don't you just uh, flick over the page if you need to, to verse 32. This is a verse that's speaking ultimately about spiritual things. What is the ultimate outcome of those who ignore God's instructions? Someone shouted out? Death. Brilliant. The waywardness of the simple. It's a description of those who live without God. It will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. See, the outcome of ignoring God's wisdom is spiritual death. It's a terrible place to be. But by contrast, what is the outcome of listening to God's wisdom? Look at verse 33. It's life, ultimately, isn't it? It's talking about safety, but ultimately life. And so here, right at the end of the first chapter, you get a kind of contrast. Living by our own wisdom leads to spiritual death. Living by God's wisdom leads to spiritual life. And so ultimately, we see that wisdom's outcome is life. Very sort of simple structure, but I'd love us just to spend a bit of time pondering on that. Because, just to close, we all wrestle with this really earthy stuff all the time. Every day is full of choices. And God's aim for us, his desire for us, is that we negotiate all of these challenges in life and live wisely. And if we're going to live wisely, we need to be rooted in the source of all wisdom that's Jesus Christ. In a growing relationship with him. And one of the things that marks a really strong, growing relationship with Jesus Christ is a person who is listening carefully to his voice. And so we mustn't underestimate the importance of stopping in the busyness of the day and hearing God speak. So my little challenge for you this week is when life gets frantic, particularly, and your life is just going at a million miles an hour, I want you to imagine you're at the Tame Food Festival. Lots going on, lots of things to see, lots of things to buy, lots of friends to talk to. But I want you to remember in the busyness of that day, there's Lady Wisdom up the lamppost and she's just calling out, listen to me, stop, hear my voice and I will speak into this situation and I will lead you forward. If anyone lacks wisdom, we are to ask God who gives generously without finding fault. So friends, let's, as we journey through the book of Proverbs together, let's remember that God is a life-giving God. His wisdom is there for our good, for our flourishing, that we might live lives that honor him and that we might serve those around us. So should we pray and ask God now for that wisdom that we most desperately need? Let's take a moment of quiet. I want you to think in your heart of that particular area that you reflected on at the beginning, an area of your life where you want to pray right now and ask God for wisdom. Why don't you just name it quietly in your heart and give it to God? Lord God, we do confess that we so readily fail to trust in you with all of our heart. Instead, we so quickly lean on our own understanding. We confess that we so readily do not acknowledge you. 
And yet I pray as we've journeyed through the first chapter of Proverbs and as we journey through the following chapters in the next few weeks, I pray that you would give us your wisdom so that we can negotiate some of the challenges of life. But more than just giving us your wisdom, Lord, give us a desire for your wisdom. Give us a desire to see that your wisdom is life-giving. That your wisdom is what leads to peace. That leads to a growth in godliness. That leads to lives that honor you and glorify you. Lord, we no doubt, in a sense, we'll all head out to the Tame Food Festival tomorrow morning. There'll be so many voices competing for our attention and our time. And I pray that in all of that, we would remember Lady Wisdom up the lamppost, calling out to us. Lord, you are a God who calls out to us daily and wants us to listen to you because you're a loving God. You're a God who knows what's best for us. You're a God who wants to speak into every situation of our life. So please, this week, would you take from us our pride that is so quickly self-reliant and please grow within us humility that we might be a people that grow in your wisdom because we fear you above all else. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who is the wisdom of God. Amen.